Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And Joseph has this longing, he's got this yearning for his brothers. And it's the same longing and yearning that Paul had for his own Jewish brethren to be reconciled to God when Paul said in Romans 9.1, Romans 9.1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bear me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. I could wish myself were a curse from Christ, uh, from my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. And then the next chapter, he starts off Romans 10.1. Romans 10.1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. So without thinking... He says, I fear Elohim. And really, it's kind of like a, he's almost saying to them when he says, I fear Elohim, I am near you. Joseph is almost saying to them, I am near you. I'm nearer than you think I am to to you. Now, we're very privileged. We're very privileged here this morning, sitting here, to be able to see Joseph here saying, I fear Elohim. Because this allows us to see not just of the surface what was going on there, but to to probe deep into the heart of Joseph. And what we see as we go deep into the heart of Joseph is this state of extreme agitation when he says, I fear Elohim. So with those words, we see Joseph longing. He really is longing to come out and to say, boys, it's me, it's Joseph, your brother, I love you guys. He really wants to do that, but he can't because God is leading him in a different direction to be rough with them. So he's got this conflict going on. And it's not easy for Joseph because he really does love his brothers. And when we look at this, we can see what the heart of a believer should be when he brings the gospel to a lost person. When a believer brings the gospel to a lost soul, to a lost person, there's got to be what we're seeing here with Joseph. There's got to be a love for that person. You know, John 3.16, when it tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, it's explaining to us that God so loved the lost world that he gave his son. And Romans 5.8 confirms that when it tells us that God loved us when we were lost. When the Lord Jesus Christ died for us in Romans 5.8, Romans 5.8, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God commended his love for us. So the call to bring the gospel to the lost is a call to love the lost. Now, we don't like to think of it that way. We just like to think of, you know, give me my job, give me the number of doors I gotta go knock on, I'll get the job done, then I go home. But if there's no love for the lost, 
that are being told the gospel. Then the gospel presentation becomes what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13.1, 1 Corinthians 13.1, where he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, have not love, I am become as sounding brass and a tinkling silver, tinkling cymbal. Oh, what's a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal? Tat may know, <laughs> because that's what he does. But this is more of a description of an irritating sound, like taking your nails and rubbing it on a chalkboard. That's the way it comes across, irritating. What's the take-home message? The take-home message is that the lost should come away after we have presented the gospel and say to themselves, you know what, he really cares about me. He really cares about what's going to happen to me. You know what, she really cares what's going to happen to me. There was just some kind of a genuine love and concern. said something about Jesus dying for my sins, but yeah, what really came across was the caring love for me. And when we bring the gospel to the lost, we're not just the UPS driver, <laughs> the UPS delivery driver, you know, who rings the doorbell, drops off the package, and then goes away, leaves, right? We don't just drop off the information of the gospel at the lost and then leave. The gospel is to be delivered with individual care, individual concern, individual love for that lost soul. And the summer blitzers, you know, they spend Monday through Thursday and they're delivering the gospel. Not, I don't want to say they're like the UPS drivers, but they're delivering the gospel to the lost. And then they do on Friday, Fridays are dedicated to circle back. And they circle back to those who have showed an interest. That's their time to show that special care, that special concern, that special love for the individual lost souls. As a matter of fact, they have a list on their smartphones of those that they have programmed an app. They made an app. And then they go back and they keep a track who they're going to go back to on Friday. And you know what they call that list on their smartphones? You won't guess. Their sweetheart list. <laughs> and this is the third point about Joseph when he said, I fear Elohim. He almost spills the beans, but it's only because of his heart of care and love and concern for his brothers. Now, verse 19, Joseph has challenged them by saying, if ye be true men. Now, that was their claim. In verse 11, we are all one man's son. We are true men. Servants are no spies. So when Joseph's brothers said that they were true men, they used a word for true. It's very commonly used today in Hebrew. It's the word ken, ken, which means, what does it mean? Yeah, ken. He asked me a question, I say ken. Yes, that's right. It means yes. <laughs> it means yes. But the root meaning of that word means right or upright, standing upright. And so what the brothers were saying is there is that we are right men. We are upright men. We're not deceptive Oh, boy. Now, they, now, keep in mind, these are the people, these are the brothers that had deceived their father, Jacob, into making him think that Joseph was killed by a wild animal, and they never told him how they sold Joseph as a slave into Egypt. Yet they claimed to be upright men, true men. <laughs> anyone who says that, anyone today who says he's a good person, he's not a true person, he's not true, because the reality is, 1 Samuel 2.2, 1 Samuel 2.2 is the reality. There is none holy as the Lord. Isaiah 53.6, all we like sheep 
have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The only true person is the person who confesses that he's a dirty, rotten sinner. That's the true person. And here stands Joseph's brothers who sold their brother into slavery, lied to their father about Joseph's death, and when we see them saying, we are true men, that's a picture of man today who says he's a good person. He's deceiving himself as it says in Jeremiah 17.9, Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Man is able to deceive himself into thinking that he's really a good person. Man is not able to assess his own heart. He's not able, he's not qualified to, he can't. Only God could do that. And when God does that, what he finds is Genesis 6-5. Genesis 6-5. God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously, nonstop. Now we come now in verse 19 and we read this where it says, if you be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye carry corn for the famine of your house. Now, when we read that, we read like, oh, wait a minute. Joseph has just changed his mind. He's just changed his mind. Why? Because in verse 16, three verses before, he said, send one of you and let him fetch your brother and you shall be kept in prison. Now in verse 19, he says, let one of your brethren be bound. See what I'm saying? So in other words, after three days of them being in prison, Joseph has reversed himself. He's changed his mind. Because before it was all be bound and one goes home and now it's one be bound and the rest go home. Why do you think he changed his mind after three days? Why? Why did Joseph change from one go, all be bound to one be bound, all go? Why? See, the key for this, what Clinton just said, is in the next part of the verse where it says, go ye carry the corn for the famine of your houses. So when he said, Carry the corn for the famine of your houses. Your houses, not your house. That shows us that the amount of corn that they would be transporting was not just for the brothers and for Jacob. The brothers were married. The brothers had households of their own. And so we might be talking about Jacob's household and 11 other households. And that would just be a large amount of corn. And that would mean that just one person couldn't, couldn't really even handle all that corn. And also, as Clinton said, keep the robbers away. Because that was kind of a valuable commodity at that time. And so Joseph is thinking, I need for all this corn really to get home. And get it home there safe and sound. So he decides that, okay, all the brothers should return. And just one of them should be kept back. Now, that shows also the emotion of the whole thing because he wasn't thinking that way in the emotion of the time when they were just all there. And he says, all of you get bound up and one of you go. But then after three days, he's kind of thought about it. He says, that's not such a good idea. There's another reason why he changed his mind. First of all, he changes his mind because he's trying to be a little more mild with the brothers And this is in keeping with Joseph observing that after three days of being in prison, that this pressure is too great on them, and he had to let up on the pressure, so he decides to only keep one of them, brothers, and send all the rest home. There's another reason. (laughs) There's another reason. 
Joseph has had time to think about his father, Jacob. And he knows that if only one comes back, Jacob, and, and he hears the rest of them are all in prison, this might be too much for Jacob's heart. He may have a heart attack. So he keeps back only one to not overburden his father. So these are the reasons. These are the reasons. These are the three reasons why he changed his mind. He didn't have it all thought through in the beginning there. He had a lot of emotion going on on him, a lot of pressure on him. And so he wants to let up the pressure on his brothers. He wants to not overcrush his father. And he wants to have enough hands to make sure that corn really does get back to the households. So now this is interesting because when we see Joseph kind of changing his mind here, all we've seen about Joseph with his changing of his mind and almost spilling the beans by saying, you know, I fear Elohim, it shows us a very important side of Joseph. I mean, the picture that we have of Joseph is of a person who is highly organized, got it all together, everything's under control, and we just would look at Joseph and say, now there's a guy who's just, you know, he's got it all together. We've never seen Joseph in this state of emotional chaos and out of control. But here we're seeing another side of Joseph. This is the picture of Joseph under a wave of emotional stress. And you know what? There's a danger for us in a highly organized, systematic approach to life. You know, the danger is one of beginning to trust our systems and how we've got it all together. We've got every insurance imaginable. And why do we need God? I can tell you this is particularly true at Scantabodies where we have system upon system and sign off upon sign off, double check upon double check to make sure we have a fail-safe system and it's easy to trust those systems instead of God. But fortunately or unfortunately, God has allowed us to have a plenty good share of troubles. <laughs> so it keeps us pressed to God and keeps us praying for protection. And with Joseph, we see how his inventory accounting system broke down. It failed. And Joseph had to trust God to know how much corn should I give out each year? Not just for the Egyptians, but all for all those countries that were coming to him that he didn't know who was going to show up. So anyway, so we've been looking now through the history of Joseph. And of course, we want to just take a little bit of thought here just to remind ourselves how many parallels there are. And I'm not going to go through all of them between Joseph, who is probably the most representative person in all of the Old Testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how many parallels? So far, we've seen strong parallels between Joseph and the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph had gone before his brothers into Egypt to prepare food for them and to prepare a place for them to live in, which is called the region of Goshen to the north. That's the reason Joseph said, that's why I left Canaan. That's why I left Canaan to come into Egypt in Genesis 45.5, Genesis 45.5. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Just like the Lord Jesus Christ, who went before us to prepare a place for us in John 14, 1, John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go, prepare a place for you, I'll come again, receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Just as we see, we will see actually, Joseph's family leaving Canaan. They're gonna leave it all behind, all their stuff. He said, don't even bother. We're gonna see Joseph's family leaving Canaan for the place that Joseph prepared for them in Goshen. We're gonna leave. 
We're going to leave this earth. We're going to come to the place where the Lord Jesus Christ prepared for us in the Father's house. Can't wait, right? Can't wait to go to that place. And Joseph spent all those years in prison. He was a long time in prison. And then he was exalted. But his brothers only spent three days in prison. And the Lord Jesus Christ paid the full penalty for our sins on the cross. And so what? We just have to go through death with no sting because we won't be cast into the place of eternal death called hell. And after those brothers will come to see that it was their own brother who saved Egypt. It was their own brother who saved Egypt from starvation. And those brothers are going to see that all those Egyptians are going to come to their brother Joseph and say the words of Genesis 47.25. Genesis 47.25, the highlight of Joseph's life, when it says, And they said, Thou hast saved our lives. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. When those brothers see all those Egyptians come to their brother Joseph and say, Thou hast saved our lives, you know what those brothers are going to realize? They're going to realize that their brother Joseph, whom they rejected, has saved the lives of the Egyptians. And as a matter of fact, Joseph's brothers are going to say, it was because we rejected our brother. We rejected our brother Joseph that he ended up in Egypt and he ended up saving all the lives of the Egyptians. And that's going to be what the Jewish people are going to see. They're going to observe and they're going to see when they come finally, someday, when they come to the Lord Jesus Christ and they're going to realize their Jewish Messiah The Lord Jesus Christ, whom they rejected, has saved the lives of so many Gentiles. Case in point. (laughs) And at that time, the Jewish people are going to say, it's because we rejected our Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he ended up saving the lives of all these Gentiles. And then they're going to see the truth in Romans 11.11. Romans 11.11 says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, Joseph says to them what he really wants them to do. And he's drilling down on this in verse 20. In verse 20, it says, verse 20, but bring your youngest brother unto me. So shall your words be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Now, we see Joseph here driving to have Benjamin come to him. This is what he's driving for. Why do you think Joseph insisted that Benjamin had to come to him? Why do you think? It was a test, okay, to see if, if, like he said, if they were going to be true or not. That's what it says on the surface, actually. Okay. Okay, Benjamin was his full brother. Let me ask a different question. How many stars bowed down to Joseph in his dream? Eleven. Eleven, right? Who is Benjamin? He's the 11th star. (laughs) He's the 11th star. He hasn't come down to bow down to Joseph yet. So what we see Joseph doing here is being guided by the dream. He's guided by the dream that God gave him when he insists that Benjamin has to come. And we have to wonder, how did Joseph know to do next in this whole drama of this chapter here? How did Joseph know to do next and know what to do next? Because he's actually changing his mind. And the answer is, he didn't. <laughs> he didn't know what to do next. But for Joseph... His dream was the revealed word of God. And he was being guided by his word of God, which was his dream. And the same is true for us. How do we know what we should do next 
in, the, in our individual unfolding dramas of our lives? And the answer is, we don't. We don't know. But just like Joseph, just like Joseph, who was guided by his dream for what to do next, which was to demand Benjamin come, so we're guided by the Bible, the word of God, for what we should do in the unfolding drama of our lives. Now, at this point, we gotta remember, the brothers have not told Joseph the name of their younger brother, which was Benjamin, but they, he doesn't know that. So as far as they know, Joseph does not know that the name of their younger brother is Benjamin. And having nearly spilled the beans by saying, I fear Elohim, Joseph's got to be really careful. Don't use that name, Benjamin, <laughs> or else you're really going to give yourself away. So he keeps saying, your younger brother, your younger brother. He's insisting here, verses 15 and 20, 15 and 20, their younger brother must be brought to him. The point is that even though Joseph does not know why it's important for Benjamin to be brought to him, he does know that the revealed word of God from the dream was that the 11th star Benjamin had to come and bow down to him. That's why the Bible is so important for us to read daily. Because like Joseph, we run into these situations in life where we don't know what to do next, and it's the revealed word of God in the Bible that guides us like the dream guided Joseph. Now, Joseph says to them, the reason he wanted, and this is what you were saying, Donna, the reason he wanted or somebody said that. Anyway, yeah, the reason he wanted their younger brother to be brought to him in verse 20 was, so shall your words be verified and you shall not die. Now, does that seem a little strange to you? Does what Joseph said just there seem a little strange to you? Let me explain. Notice how in verse 20, how Joseph is talking to, who's he talking to here? He's talking to the group that's gonna be going back to get Benjamin and bring him. He's talking to the group of brothers that are going back home. Joseph is not talking to the one who's going to be kept in the prison saying to him, bring your youngest brother back to me because he's not going home. He's staying in the prison. And so he can't, he can't bring Benjamin back. So clearly here, Joseph is talking to the brothers, the other brothers, the other brothers in verse 20. And he's just said to the brothers, that only one of them is going to be kept in prison while the others go home with the food. And if they don't bring Benjamin back with them, Joseph did not say here, the one who's in prison, who was Simeon, the one who was in prison would die. But he says, you will all die. I mean, Joseph did not say, bring your youngest brother back to me so what you say can be verified so Simeon will not die, so this one won't die. But what Joseph did say in verse 20, bring your youngest brother to me so that what you say can be verified or you all will not die. So in other words, if they didn't bring Benjamin back and they stayed there, let's say they left, they left and they stayed home and they didn't bring Benjamin back to them. Joseph had no control to kill them there. They were outside of Egypt. How could Joseph make a statement like this? How could Joseph say that they will all die if Joseph only kept one of them in his custody? What was Joseph thinking when he said that the penalty for not bringing Benjamin back was that they were all going to die? Uh, 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Christmas Under the Stars is back at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Christmas Under the Stars is a free family Christmas program on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. Enjoy a live nativity, Christmas carolers, cookie decorating, ornament design, games, rides, petting zoos, and a dinosaur garden of lights. Family Christmas photos, holiday fair food, and astronomer star viewing and presentation by astronomer Spike Saras. And a Christmas message by Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor and Free Creation Museum admission on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. For more information about Christmas Under the Stars and Dinosaurs at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m., call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or visit the Creation Museum online at creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org.